want to take a moment and say thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. This week, we're sending our thanks to our newest patron, Steve Stewart. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we're waiting to give shout outs to you, a dear listener. All you need to do if you want to get your name shouted out on this show, just like Steve Stewart, is to join our Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers, where you will get access to a bunch of really cool stuff, including the Major Spoilers podcast pre-show, where this week <laughs> we talk about Warner Brothers. I think I think we talked about maybe something else. Yeah, we talk about something else. Oh before, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk about we, uh, we talk about Velma. We talk about uh, Martin Luther King Day. Uh, we talk about a lot of things. It was a fascinating conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed that talk, and I think you will too. And if you are a patron, it's right there in your exclusive feed that you get when you become a patron. Uh, if you're not a patron, go sign up now for the silver level. Five bucks a month keeps the lights on here at the Major Spoilers HQ, and. Uh, you can get access to that show and all of the shows that we've ever done. Like how long have we been doing pre-shows? Like a couple of oh, years, a long right? Time. Yeah. Five or six years. You have, you have thousands of hours of content waiting for you for a mere five bucks a month. Hmm. There you go. This week, we are talking about the legend of Korra turf wars. I don't remember if this was one that was suggested by somebody or not. Oh no. I think Jimmy suggested this one. Oh, no. Fighting Gobbler uh, suggested we read Legend of Korra. And it was one that I was already planning on doing. So when Fighting Gobbler said, hey, let's uh, can you guys do Legend of, of Korra? I was like, well, certainly we can talk about the Legend of Korra Turf Wars. This is the first uh, comic book series that came out after the show ended. After mm. what? Third season or whatever it was. Yeah. And this one literally picks up as the episode ends. So if everybody doesn't remember, a little bit of a spoiler alert. Uh, Korra and Asami, uh, are going through the new, uh, portal to the spirit world and they're holding hands. They don't kiss in that. I don't think they kiss in that episode. No, they don't. Um, they definitely are holding hands indicating that they are a couple. This one picks up the instant they walk through and it is clear that they are a couple throughout this entire, uh, volume. The main story line in addition to them coming out to their friends and family is that, there is a new portal in Republic city and everybody wants a piece of the action and the spirits don't want, uh, want them messing around with the portal. They think the portal should be closed as well. And that leads to some gang warfare, uh, on the streets of uh, Republic city and, uh, some other things uh, go on in this. And I, I'm curious, Matthew, have you ever watched legend of Korra? I don't, I, I know that Rodrigo and I are huge fans of the show, but I don't remember if you've ever watched Legend of Korra. Yeah, we watched it all the way through. Um, my kid was a huge fan of Avatar. Mm -hmm. And when Korra popped up on some streaming service or another, we watched all of Avatar all the way through, and then we watched all of Korra maybe in a month or two months. I don't remember. So it's it's uh, currently on Netflix now, so you may have yeah. seen it there. I yeah. The thing about Korra that always sticks out to me is just, Bud Bundy's voice work, but yeah, I, I really felt like there were a lot of things in Legend of Korra that I liked better mm -hmm. than some of the setup of Avatar. And then, of course, there were things that I found, you know, to be just unpleasantly clumsy. But yeah, I enjoyed Korra. I really liked the fact that it was, it was designed to be sort of metropolitan. It was a city setting. 
it yeah. wasn't like you know we weren't wandering around from settlement to settlement it was set in you know sort of a proto new york setting and i really enjoyed that whole bit mm-hmm. they had, they had cars man yeah they did yeah it seemed like avatar was very much let's build this world and legend of Korra is this world has been built now can we keep it together kind of stuff you know from from the overall uh, scheme of things Mm-hmm. This series is actually written by, I think, both of the creators of Korra, or at least one of them, uh, went in and and wrote everything out. And I will say at times, because this is a four or five issue collection, maybe it's six, but it felt very episodic in parts. Sure. I don't know if you guys got that as well. It, it really felt like I was reading a comic book that was broken down the same way an episode of the television show would have been released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And I don't know if that was to its advantage or disadvantage. It, uh, the pro- the in, a, in a trade, I think it's, it's sort of disadvantageous. It's probably much better if you were reading the issues as they're coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is uh, when, and we've seen this before, when you adapt something from one medium to the other, you really do have to take into account the fact that it's no longer, th- you know, three commercial breaks and 14 minutes, or it's no longer, you have to get to the end of the page and have an entertaining thing. Cause you're about to go to an ad. So I feel like it wasn't necessarily disadvantageous if that's even a word, but it, it was definitely noticeable and made it feel like the story wasn't written with a with a a print with a comic book setting in mind Mm -hmm. yeah i think that there were there were definitely times where i was like oh this feels like we're getting ready for a commercial break or there were times where it felt like oh this is a point where we need to cut away to you know um julie and her run for the presidency of of republic city or um what are the two boys' names i always forget their names mako Uh, and bolin yeah yeah it always felt like, oh, here's a time where Bolin needs to do X, whatever X is. Sure. And sure enough, sure. that's pretty much what would happen as you were reading uh, the stories. Um, and so, yeah, there's all the trappings that come come with that. So one of the big, I don't know if it was really, I didn't see it as a big problem, but certainly there were a lot of people that had a big issue with the fact that Asami and Korra are a couple. Um was that, I mean, you're aware of that, right, Rodrigo, that there were a lot of people that were just like, no, no, this cannot be. Uh, I mean, most of what I know is that um, the the writers definitely on, la- on that last season wanted them to become a couple. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lot of fans that were very happy to have gotten yes. what they got, right? It's like nowadays people go back and they're like, they're like, oh, I can't believe that they just have him holding hands. What cowards. But actually, as this was coming out, the team was advocating very hard for them to be able to do more. And that hand-holding and walking together was about all they could get. But mm-hmm. after that, in this uh, in this thing that doesn't have to deal with TV censors, uh, they were finally able to to open that up. I'm sure there's lots of people who don't like it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's okay. Like there are okay reasons not to like it and there are not okay reasons not to like it. Right. If you don't like it because you think gay people are bad, then that's not great. Yeah. Um, if you don't like it because you don't ship it, then I understand that. I I think, I think that's the, so 
I did not hear a lot of complaints about, oh, they're just turning these characters into, uh, I guess they would be bisexual, but, uh, you know, in, into lesbians in this show just because they're trying to attract an, an audience and blah, blah, blah. Sure, sure. I did not really see a whole lot of that, but I did see a lot of, well, there's no way that these two would be together. There are no indications anywhere in the show that any of this was was going on. It's like, well, it's there if you look. Right. Yeah, it's definitely it definitely in that last season. It's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can argue fun. that you can argue that it was brought in in that last season, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's a fair argument. But you know, they spend time together and they talk mm-hmm. to each other, and you know, some episodes of Korra probably pass the Bechdel test. Maybe yeah. not too many, but yeah. definitely some scenes do. So, I feel like from the beginning, their relationship had. Um, and I don't, I'm, again, I'm not saying that this is good or bad. It had that undertone of they kind of dislike each other, slap, slap, kiss, we can make them kiss later, that you see so much in these stories where I felt yeah. like it, it didn't feel like it came entirely out of left field. I felt like they weren't allowed to build what they wanted. But even at the beginning of season one, they had a little bit of kind of a, a rivalry thing going on I mean, that... The kind of thing that always seems to turn into a romance in so many stories. I, I mean, a lot of the time I'm sitting there thinking, what do they see in Mako? Right. Right. That's what I was going to well, say. Well, I mean, he, I mean, he, he is the tall, good looking guy. I mean, that's yeah, right. he's, yeah, he's handsome. Yeah. So how do you think that, that their relationship was handled then in this book? Because the one thing that I was very surprised as mm-hmm. I was reading this is that everyone is super accepting, which is good, right? Everyone calls them on it. <laughs> yeah, it's no, really but obvious. <laughs> no, but I was really expecting someone to be like, oh no, that's not right. You two shouldn't be together or anything like that. But even Mako is like, it's really weird when my ex-girlfriend and my other ex-girlfriend are dating one another, but I'm okay with it. And right. I was like, well, that's that's really cool that he's approaching it in that way. But I really expected at least somebody to be anti. And how how do they deal with that? And so it was, yeah, it was, it's, it was an interesting, it was an interesting way to handle it because this is a fantasy world mm-hmm. and we've never gotten into that, right? We've never gotten have, into what are the, what are the politics of same sex relationships in right. the world of Avatar? Right. right. Um, this book does a lot of work to sort of backfill that, basically saying that it's kind of always been around, but more traditionalist spaces frown on it uh they even have a thing where they're like well in the fire nation it was fine for like a hundred years and then when like the fascists took over yeah uh, they outlawed it so i was like you know that's interesting because that's actually very realistic i kind of feel that after after avatar like after going for between avatar the last airbender to cora uh the uh you know dimartino and konietzko uh like kind of leveled up their like historical and like sort of like social knowledge mm-hmm. um because yeah going into Korra there are a lot of things where you're like well why did this happen this way or like would this have happened that way after like a violent um such a violent time would things have turned out this way or is it okay that the characters are okay with this i feel like tackling this book they're a lot more careful and a lot more planned out as to where the politics are going to land. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was okay with it. I was okay that there's no strong resistance to it, you know, because there's still strong resistance to it out in the real world. And it's yeah. okay to not have that in this fictional space. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I am glad that everyone is super accepting, even though when Cora comes out to her parents and her, both of her parents are like, oh no, this is really great. We're really happy for you. And then dad's like, well, just remember in the, uh, in the, uh, water, you know, nation, uh, we try to keep these things private and Cora takes that as a, you're yeah. actually not accepting of me, but you know, it turns out that she's just not reading or understanding what her parents are telling her. But yeah, it's like a generational yeah. difference there, but yeah. it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like the whole water nation is going to reject her just because she comes out. And so I was really cool with all that. And I was really glad that, you know, Mako is okay with it, right? If anybody would be the most weirded out about it, you'd think that it would be him in the story. And he's like, nah, this is fine. Now, of course, he may be going through his own incredible uh, uh, depression or whatever else that's going on because he starts this in a bad place and it continues to go bad for him for most of the the story arc. Um, And so he may not be in, in the best place, but you know, I was really glad that he came uh, and was, and was very positive about all this. I think though, one of the, just from my perspective on this, one of the biggest problems that I would find with the question of who would be the person to say, this is not acceptable or this is wrong. The most likely person in the narrative is Tenzin, who is also a character who. I don't think you can have Tenzin say that no. and maintain being Tenzin as I, we know him. And I'm not even the, sure you, you could know, have a loving uncle figure with the voice of the yellow M&M. Right. Wouldn't say that. But yeah, and I'm not even in the, in the Tenzin role, I feel like is the one in this particular story who would be the most likely to do it. So, yeah. And know. then, you know, uh, Tenzin's sister, she's also very open. Boomy is not in this. Right. Uh, so we don't get to see Boomy's reaction to any of this, but I forget where Boomy went off to. I thought he was training with airbenders. Am oh, I yeah, cra- he does become an airbender. You're right. Yeah. Am I crazy or was Avatar Kyoshi openly? Uh, yeah. Bisexual? So, so they, that's what this book is doing. They're, they're right. going back and they're like backfilling like what. Yeah, what the right. queer politics of this world have been. So right. they talk about Avatar Kiyoshi being bi, but but her living in like an extremely traditional and militaristic time period for the Fire Nation or not for the uh, Earth Kingdom. Yeah. So it's like she was allowed to do it because she was the Avatar, mm-hmm. but right. it wasn't like widely accepted. Uh, they said that like the Air Nomads were like totally cool with it. Uh, that the Fire Nation used to be cool with it, but then they, they um, then was they stopped that... when when the when uh, what's his name took over, um, and then never um, told in the show. No, 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 no okay, no. not not, not about in this. Avatar, not in Korra. Yeah, because I remember there being stuff about Kyoshi, and I'm like, I swear that I remember Kyoshi having a female partner you know, at some n- point. No, she doesn't have a female partner. It is possible that they might have like very quickly checked it mm-hmm. and and said something like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, this avatar got married and this avatar, her partner, blah, blah, blah. 
you know, like sort of like trying to like squeeze it in there, but there was never an explicit yeah, mention. True. As far as I remember, you yeah. know, it's like this this show is like yeah, you yeah, know, no, 600 it was episodes, so yeah, I, I might have missed it, but I, I, I think I've seen them all at least six every episode at least six times now. So yeah, the censors that's 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 the thing is like the censors were on top of them about this. They, yeah. This was really not cool. And this is what they got, right? Is like out of all of that, they got these two characters are allowed to hold hands so that there's some ambiguity to it. And it happens at the very, literally at the very last, last moment second, of the show. Yeah. They hold hands, they go into the thing, credits. Right. We see nothing else. So yeah, well, seeing seeing this actually happen in the comic, you know, it's good. <laughs> um, and I'm glad for it. Yeah, I'm glad that you know, people that wanted that got to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also sad that, um, you know, there's kind of this like unfortunate sort of like media hierarchy, right? It's like you can do lots of stuff in comic books, but getting it adapted into television gives it a little bit more. And then of course being like a live action movie gives it even more weight. Right. Mm -hmm. So um it it would have been nice to have seen this uh, like airing on Nickelodeon, but then again, it was uh, actively hard to watch Legend of Korra do anything on Nickelodeon <laughs> right. because they messed up the schedule so bad. Oh yeah, they they were active. It felt at times, yeah, the same way with even Avatar: The Last Airbender. It felt at times like the network was actively fighting against the shows. Yeah, and Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network is does the did the same thing with uh, Teen Titans and several of their other shows. Um, yeah, Young Justice, for example. Yeah. Nickelodeon and, though. Nickelodeon is just like mm. trying to follow premieres on Nickelodeon is like trying to herd cats in the back of a movie. Oh, I I hear it. Uh, I hear it every Monday evening when my youngest son is like, "Hey, the Disney Channel said there was a new Big City Greens on tonight," and and then he turns on the TV. He's like. Nope, it's a rerun. They've lied to me again. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same the same thing was. Yeah, I mean, I think all the cartoon shows Disney was the same way with Phineas and Ferb and Gravity Falls. You never knew when a new episode was going to be on. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was super problematic. But at least I think Legend of Korra did a really good job of of trying to hold it together for as long as they could with um, with the challenges that they faced. And I think that this is a really good book uh, from the story perspective. I do mm-hmm. want to talk about the art though. I okay. do I do like Veronica Fish and I mm-hmm. do like Irene Co. I like both of their art styles. Mm-hmm. Oddly though, I don't think that their art styles worked for Legend of Korra. Veronica Fish's stuff is it's really weird because as I was reading this, I'm like, yeah, all the they're on model and everything. This looks like Korra, this Mako, the Sami, yeah, everybody's here. Looks like Republic City, Tenzin looks like Tenzin. But there was this weird, like, storyboard quality to the art where it's it's very scratchy. Sure. Uh, and it's very uh, almost like, I don't want to say it was like charcoal and, and, and chalk, but at times that's how it felt. And so when you come from the animated television show and then you read this and you're like, well, that, I mean, it's on, on model, but it's, it's a little off. That didn't sit well with me for those issues. Then when the other artists took over, it's like, okay, well, all the scratchy, all the, the rough storyboard stuff went away, but now I think I needed my lines to be thicker because the lines were very, very thin and it really didn't, it didn't feel 
It looked yeah. more like the animated show, but it, there was something missing. And I think it was the thick lines that you normally see in an animated sure. show. And so for whatever yeah. reason, both artists are really great. Both mm. artists are really good, but I think their styles didn't align it, with the core style that people expect. It, it definitely doesn't help that Cora was actually a visually magnificent show, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. That so much about it was so good. Um, like, definitely lots of things do help, like character designs. Like, they didn't have to touch these characters. Right. Mm -hmm. um, they were already, you know, basically fully perfect the moment that they were on screen. Um, and Cora still goes through some wardrobe changes as, as she, you know, gets put through the ringer. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, I don't think this is, this is anything like, I think both artists do an excellent job in this, um, but it's tough when you're coming in sort of with the expectation that you're going to open this book and it's going to look exactly like the mm -hmm. show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there is a way to do that. Um, but it's tough. I'm, I'm trying to remember, uh, if like the avatar, the last airbender comics, like the promise um, I mean, even then those took, you know, some kind of liberties. Oh, I, I'm sure this is just, this is just me. Like I said, I enjoy like Veronica fish. Anytime she's doing something Archie, I know I've got to buy that stuff. Cause I really like what she's been doing over at Archie in, in the past years. Uh, and so I really like both of the, the artists. It's just that expectation of when you say legend of Korra and then you see the, the art in the book, just there's that weird disconnect that happens in your head. Uh, mm -hmm. to where it's like, no, the art is fine. The art is good. The coloring is great. The coloring is good. But, uh, just that weird disconnect in my head just kind of had me at a little bit of a weird angle to this. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think, uh, I honestly can't remember because I'm, when I picture the avatar comics that I've read, my brain fills in the art style from yeah. the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. So the promise, right. Yeah. Um, which was the like I think the first Avatar thing to come out. I, that was very on model, mm -hmm. and the coloring was pretty much exactly right. So, uh, but but still, you know, like there are times when you're like, this is like the artist's interpretation of this, right? Like mm -hmm. this doesn't maybe doesn't look like it would on the show um, because it's not on a TV show, yeah. you know, it's right? It's not animated. Style, yeah. Somebody else is doing it. Yeah. Like somebody has to draw this like in between frame. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I think the, like, I think the stuff that came out of avatar, the last airbender was much closer to the show as far as like execution. And I think mm -hmm. that was purposeful. And I think this was probably purposeful too. Um, I think maybe they were, cause I know that, uh, definitely Irene Co had some notes mm -hmm. for them. Like they were like, Hey, we want to do this and do this and do this. And she's like, uh, how about we do this instead? And they were like, let's do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, I think for both artists, they were allowed to, uh, express certain things differently than than how the show was doing it mm -hmm. uh, and and honestly i think that's good because it makes it i don't know it makes it a little bit more comfortable right when the when the artist is allowed to sort of do their thing it makes for like 
a, a much better reading experience unless it, unless it's an artist that's like masterful at aping other styles right yeah right. yeah and i feel like you know there there's at least one sequence that ends up with a kiss uh after asami is is injured and i'm just like that would not i don't feel like that sequence would have been as i don't want to say effective i don't feel like that sequence would have had the same amount of emotion had it been rendered exactly in the style of the show mm. and part of that is the fact that i don't think the show was designed for kissing i think the show yeah, was there's plenty of there's plenty of kissing in that show yeah but it's not like the central focus kissing it's not like here's a romance that is the center of the storyline and all of like that i mean it's definitely i mean i mean i i, I disagree because i think the relationship between mako and cora is mm-hmm. becomes pretty central yeah. to that to the that early first and second season uh but i i think you're right in the sense that in, in comic books that kiss is timeless right it's like right. it's it's captured at uh the most passionate moment um and exists forever whereas on screen it's transient right mm-hmm. unless you rewind and pause it and right. and and who hasn't ever done that i'm just saying <laughs> uh i will say that I would encourage people if they're going to pick this up. And really, if you're a fan of Legend of Korra, uh, personally, I think that this is a great companion. I think this is a great piece to find out what are the adventures that happen next. It's written by the, you know, the show uh, creators, so they know what's going on. But there is a fantastic section in the back of the book where it is just notes. It's like, here's some rough layouts. Here's some rough cover designs. Here's, you know, it's a, I really like looking at the process of stuff. And, uh, I, I, Irene code does that. I think that's who you were talking about a little bit ago, Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's fascinating. It is a great look to see what it takes to put a comic book together, but also think about the layout and design of, of a cover, for example, is, is really good. So that's another reason I think people should pick it up. And, and honestly, I think everybody should go and pick legend of Korra turf wars up. It's the complete omnibus that has, what is it, like six issues, I think? Something like that. Um, really good. It's really well done. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, of course, I'm a f- fan of Legend of Korra. I think everybody in the house is. Maybe not my wife, because she's had to watch every episode 32 times. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, she knows the lore and the history. She knows all the characters and the stories. Uh, I think she would probably get a kick out of this, too. So for me, this is a, for Korra fans, definitely a thumbs up, go out and and buy this book. Matthew, final thoughts from you? It has one glaring flaw that we have not addressed. Uh, it it does not have nearly enough of Sir Iknik Blackstone Varric, the greatest character in the entire Avatar universe, but just ask him. But I also feel that, yeah, it's definitely something, if you enjoyed Korra, you're probably going to want to read this. The sole exception, I think, is if you're one of the people who was like mad about their romance for whatever reason, and that's fine, you know, go do your thing. Um, don't be a jerk about it. But more importantly, if you're looking for more of the Cora after Nickelodeon was like, we're not going to let you make more of the Cora, this is it. This is good. This is appropriate. And I think you'll like it. In regards to Varric. I think it's great that he is in a very back position because otherwise he overpowers Julie's story. 
<laughs> and I think Eric is definitely an acquired taste and used best in, in cautious. I, I think if there is one glaring uh, mistake in this entire thing is somebody screaming about their cabbages. But anyway, <laughs> Rodrigo, final thoughts from you, Legend of Korra, Turf Wars. Uh, so this is definitely more Korra, right? It's mm-hmm. written by the same people. It's drawn in a, pretty much exactly the same style as the um, as the show. So that's what you're gonna get. So if you didn't like the like the the gray area politics of like basically a teenager learning what it's like to have to make tough decisions, um, and if you don't like like urban planning. And if you don't like, like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like gang turf wars, like that, that's what this is about. This is just like immediately picks up after Korra and unapologetically follows the exact same stuff that Korra was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, this, not the character, but the, but the show. So if you like that, then get into it. If you, if you were like, oh, I always wanted something a little bit more adventurous, blah, blah, blah. This isn't for you. This like we spend time in meetings in this comic like <laughs> multiple times so that's that's what you're gonna get you're gonna get more cora yeah so line yourself up there you go yeah. thank you rodrigo thank you matthew thank you dear listeners that wraps it up for this issue and we want to thank each and every one of you for listening this week if you found value in this show we would love for you to join us over on our patreon page where you can find even more fun including the major spoilers podcast pre-show that i talked about before you can find more information when you join patreon.com slash major spoilers up next week. Oh, because Rodrigo demanded it. We're going inside your body to see how the system works. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the ons. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2023 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.